So we've got Coach Rob back on the podcast again for another episode. How are you today, brother? Hey, good morning. How you doing, my man? Very, very good. Thank you. What have you been up to for the last, what's it been, three or four weeks now? Yeah, three to four weeks goes by so fast. I was just saying in our staff meeting this week because we did uh, Cooksey and the Coach, we did a Coach Rob podcast, and we're doing uh, one with yourself this evening. So it's uh, we were just teasing. I was like, wow, wasn't that just last week? And boom, three weeks have gone by. So I've been following you. Heck with me. Looks like you've been super busy with your online coaching, getting the platform launched. I'm super pumped for you. Looks really good. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's a lot of, as you no doubt know yourself, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes into getting all that stuff set up. So I'm happy to say I've kind of hit a little milestone there and I can back off the laptop work for a little bit. Yeah, get out of that out of that computer screen is going to be refreshing for a while. But no, congratulations. I know you've been really busy with it. It looks super good if that's proper English or not, but it looks <laughs> looks really solid. So congrats. <laughs> I'll take super good. Super good's good. Super good. Is that like Dungey super pumped? We'll take it. Super good. <laughs> oh, so that's what happens when you're educated. Yeah. <laughs> so what about yourself, man? Like you've had some big announcements this week too with the with the off-road and the motocross teams that you've announced for both in America, I suppose, but also over here in Australia, which I guess is a bit of a new thing for you. So tell us a little bit about what's happening there. Yeah, we're, uh, we're super excited. As you guys know, uh, we've had the privilege to be over in your country the last three years. We've been there four times and it's, you know, I, I know the listeners will probably think I'm just trying to kiss up to the Australians and the New Zealanders, but the clamoring for knowledge on that side of the ocean is so refreshing because instead of everything becoming a debate and becoming an argument, there's, there's some intelligent conversations that go on. And I, Michaela and I talk about this all the time. It's such a pleasure to be over there because you saw it yourself when we're doing the camps at Mount Kembla and, and all the different places that we've been. It's always astounding to me where the questions become conversational points. And even if there's a differing of opinion or there might be some confusion, the ability to clarify, be able to give a little bit more of a deeper explanation, it's been extremely refreshing. And so over the last three years that we've been there, you know, we've built networks, thank, thankfully with people like yourself, Todd Waters, Jace over at Gypsy Tales, um, obviously, Bo Franklin played a huge role with us coming over the first time, so we're very thankful for that. Um, all the way down to the different facilities that hosted us. You know, obviously, we got blindsided like everybody did with the uh, the COVID virus. We were planning on coming back. We had, I think, 15 or 17 camps that we had outlined, literally from Darwin all the way down to Melbourne. And with your help, we were going to head west and try to do a couple off-road over there. But um in doing so, you know, what we were trying to do was build a network of both riding coaches such as yourself and Todd and Ryan Fernandez and all that, having a network of coaches that can help us with the work on the bike and then be able to provide the infrastructure of nutrition, hydration, sports psychology, flexibility, the whole nine yards. And what we wanted to do was kind of integrate those two together. So the last time we were over there, we spent a great deal of time asking questions, doing, you know, 
researching some of the race results, looking at people on the track, looking at people off the track for some of the young nippers, even looking at their parents, how do they handle adversity? And then we just decided uh, for the listeners that may not be aware of this, we've owned our own amateur team. This will be our 15th year. Um, you've heard me say on the, on the pod together, we're 15 years into a 20 year program. And what we've been trying to do is build a network where athletes from around the world can make their way into the United States, whether they want to go to a pro national or whether they want to try to make it to Loretta's. And so the infrastructure for that is now in place, but on the state side, we have facilities all over the country. We have Moto E facilities. What we need to net, what did we, excuse me, what we needed to put together now was with the help of someone like yourself, uh, we, we've allocated and appointed Tim Lawler. He's our uh, motocross manager, implementing and, and getting some help from Bo and from other people such as yourself and these others, looking for people that we know want to make the, ju- the journey over here. But when they get here, understand that the process and the system hasn't changed. So the genesis behind the off-road team and the motocross elite team in Australia and New Zealand was we wanted to start taking our model and making it more accessible to the riders of Australia and New Zealand. So it's been a tedious task. We looked at a lot of different names, looked at a lot of different scenarios. And as you guys saw in the announcement on Facebook, we haven't been able to do it on Instagram yet, but we're working on that. You guys have been able to see, you know, what we've got going on, having yourself spearhead the off-road team. I'm very excited about that. And then having Tim Lawler spearhead the motocross team over the entire country of Australia. So it's new for us. Um, It's a model that we've used for 15 years, but it is the first time that we've gone, you know, into the Australia, New Zealand side with the, uh, with the two teams. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's exciting, I think, because I guess there's plenty of people who've done support teams and, and race teams over here, obviously, in Australia. I guess that's not that that much of a new thing to people, but I guess what I love about what you're doing is it it actually, if, if the rider wants to, like obviously not everyone wants to go to the States, but you've got the option there if that rider wants to take it to the next level or even just go over there and experience what it's like in the States, then you can give them that pathway and, and make it a lot easier for them once they get over there to, to get the, the experience and the knowledge they need. You're exactly right. And there's two facets to that that I want the listeners to understand. When somebody, uh, when we selected these riders, we're very fortunate that we have partners and whether it's a helmet partner, a gear partner, a oil, a tire, metals like bars and chains and sprockets and stuff like that, what we wanted to do was help the parents offset the cost of going racing. So, for example, we're very fortunate we have Scott Goggles, we have Climb Gear. So, if you have an existing relationship with another gear company, you're not obligated to use our gear partner. What I always say is if you have a pre existing relationship, please honor that because partnerships. It pisses me off to no end when someone just jumps for an extra pair of goggles or jumps for $5 more. Yeah. Stick to the loyalties, stick to those that gave you a shot when you were a nobody, if I can say that politely. What I do want is if you've not been into a situation where you've been able to work uh, a network of contacts for gear, for race gas, for tires, like we said, parts for the bike, whether it be an OEM, an aftermarket pipe, whatever it may be, graphics. What we're saying is we have partnerships in all of these categories that we know the racers and the parents are spending money. 
So if I can save you $10, I can't pay you $10 because I don't work for Pro Taper or VP Race Gas or Dunlop. But if I can save you $10 and you're going to buy tires anyways, that's the benefit of being on one of the benefits of being on the team from a cost saving standpoint. But like you said, it's multifaceted because I'm not saying everyone that's been selected is expected to come to the States. What we did was we put together a, a kind of a, a mixture of a, of a roster to say, okay, maybe 10, 20% of the riders want to come to the States. So we needed to have those in the selection process. But if they come to the States, now this is where I want people to really key in on this. My goal is if you're running Dunlop in Australia, when you come to the States, we already have a relationship with Dunlop. So you're not having to try to re-understand or acclimate yourself to another tire compound. Little things like suspensions, a little bit more, obviously has some more nuances with it. But if you come over here, I want you to be on the most similar suspension, tires, motor builds, motor characteristics, gear, helmet, goggle, race gas. Then all you've got to do, we have accommodations over here. So when somebody comes to one of our facilities, we already have accommodations lined up. We don't make, it's not a revenue stream for us. It's just providing a service for any rider that's going to come over. We're very fortunate. We're based in Orlando. So I have seven facilities that are within 90 minutes of Orlando. So if you want to fly in and do Minios and then race Daytona and then go to Freestone and then go to Springading and the Mammoth and then to go to Loretta's, when you fly into either Tampa or Orlando, which are international airports, within 90 minutes, you're going to be at one of our facilities. So it's being able to provide them the same products and services on the bike, the same products and services when it comes to performance, whether it be nutrition, strength, flexibility, or mental. And then we have facilities over in Australia. We're very fortunate. We have relationships right now with the Dome. Uh, we have ACTMX. We're working on a couple other facilities as well. So when you go to that facility, the way that the, let's call it methodology is being taught and implemented, when you come to a Moto E facility, there's continuity all the way through. We uh, here in the States, we're working with three satellite teams where my goal is, is to take like a Richie Lawler from a 65 to an 85, an 85 to a 125. At that point, when he gets to a 250, maybe he has an opportunity. I don't control who gets selected by the team. That's by the team owners and the investors. But what is happening is more and more of the agents and the team owners are looking to Moto E to say who's strong, who's durable. And this is where we can offer something that nobody else does. We can give the team managers and the agents, we can provide them human telemetry information, strength to weight ratios, VO2 max numbers, critical speeds, threshold of fatigue. If I'm, a, if I'm somebody that's going to invest in Ben Greenwood, I'm going to give you a three-year deal, going to give you a salary bonuses. I want to see that there's a history of minimal injuries, I want to see that you've got a good junior background where you've been able to show that you can handle high pressure situations. You're consistent with your lap times. We've got other criteria that we use that I don't want to give away our, our secrets, but we have a complete performance profile that we provide to the agents and the team managers so they can see, wow, Richie Lawler has been on a development program for six years. He's yeah. had very few injuries. He's shown that he's on that continual improvement. We're not looking for this. We're not looking for a straight up slope. We're looking for that continual improvement. And you and I've talked about it both on the podcast and in person. There's these expectations where the kids get on a slope that 
is so steep that they just simply can't keep up. And then when they finally do get the offer and the opportunity, they're so chewed up that they can't do anything with it. That's my job is to make sure that doesn't happen, but it's a process like you and I've spoken about numerous times. It's a process. So that's what we're trying to bring uniquely. So I hope the listeners understand we're selecting riders, giving them the toolage for 12 months at that time, if they want to come to the States, they've got locations to, for accommodations and facilities. They've got consistency all the way through. And then ultimately we can put them in front of teams to look at them, to give them an opportunity. And in fact, we call them factory rides because we are getting factory equipment. We're just not in a factory rig. We're doing it in satellite vehicles. So we've yeah. already got freight liners and we've got trucks and trailers. And so it's, it's fun. We're going to be announcing some of that by the first of the year especially now that the Supercross schedule got released. <laughs> a lot of pieces and parts that had to fall into place. Yeah, for sure. It's a little bit up in the air at the moment, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's just like yourself, you guys losing your Supercross series. You know, hopefully somebody will pick that back up. But until they do, it's kind of hard for teams to get mm. bikes to budgets and it's hard for the riders to be able to make a living until there's some place to go race. So we're thankful our series got announced yesterday. I think it was. So it's good. Yeah, it is good. I think uh, a few of the top, at least off-road guys, and even some of the motocross guys here have gone over to Europe and, and are racing over there um, just because... Yeah, about Chucky, killing it. Yeah, <laughs> he's a machine, isn't he? He's crazy. I mean, you look at the weight of all that navigational equipment on the front end of that bike. I mean, it's just... And I know there's a lot of similarities between that KTM and the Husky, but, man, that guy is unbelievable. Some of the stuff he does is just... You know, and having a privilege to actually go and train with him a little bit when we were over there to watch him go ride a motocross track as an enduro rider. You know, are you kidding me? I mean, the stuff he can do is just like, damn, that was very, very impressive. Uh, the only person that he's ever, the only person that I've seen in the off road world that he reminds me of is Charlie Mullins. Charlie Mullins can ride a motocross track. Um, I would say even better than Caleb Russell, the way that I've seen him. And if you saw Caleb Russell, remember that one year he qualified for the national. Uh, Charlie Mullins is even better than that. So yeah, yeah. Pretty impressive when you see him throwing all that navigational. Can you imagine the weight of that on the front of the bars? That's kind of like Shorty going through the whoops on that adventure bike. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's a whole other game that I like, I take my hat off to them. Like you think you've obviously got the, the component of the skill component of riding the bike, but then you are actually trying to, taking read this map and and know where you're actually meant to go it's like a whole other level of mental function that's going on in that situation can't even imagine heart rates pinned at 180 you know you're going 100 kilometers an hour and then you're trying to navigate i don't think so <laughs> i don't think so it's like trying to race a motocross track in the dark you know <laughs> no good can come from that nothing good <laughs> that guy's just ripping so yeah it's pretty impressive all the way around um so yeah that like that's that's the other thing i was going to say that I, I i guess i love about what you do too you're not always looking for to cherry pick those guys that are already at the top like you're really trying to look for the guys who are maybe top 10 top 15 maybe but they show a bit of potential and and the drive to want to get there and you're giving them the pathway and and helping them get towards their goals and as opposed to just getting some some kid that's already 99% there and just polishing yeah. him up. Well, and you hit the nail on the head and I want the listeners to think about it from my perspective. 
you see a lot of kids that are on a red carpet ride, you know, they're on 65s, they're in million dollar provost motorhomes with double decker trailers. And, you know, at seven years old, that's what they think is reality. <laughs> put yourself in my position and I'm trying to get them to put down the junk cereal and put down the junk candy. And this kid's rolling in a million dollar motorhome. How much is he going to listen to me? Right. So my whole thing is, is I want, and, and you see, you saw in our roster, we have some young riders and we have some, you know, middle-aged riders and, and we've got some, some older riders, which is great. I love it. The characteristic that's consistent a bunch uh, amongst the girls, the boys, the men is the appreciation and the love for riding a dirt bike. You know, um, like I said earlier, Australians, the New Zealanders, uh, even into the UK, we have a, a very large conglomerate of athletes over there as well. The thing that's so powerful about those riders is they'll take the information, they'll ask questions, they'll try to clarify it, then they try to apply it instead of all constantly arguing about it. And to your point about where we selected the riders from, I want the, the rider that's just excited to go racing. I want the one that has duct tape numbers and, and you know duct tape boots that don't fit but they don't care. What they're interested in is I get to go ride my dirt bike. And when, when you see that, I want to add one more dynamic to it. And that is, what is the parent's perception of their rider? Like I said, we've got a, a broad portfolio of riders. We have some that are adults that pay to go race and have kids and all that. That's cool. But you've got to watch the parents. You know, if every single weekend is stopwatch nationals, that's not cool. All right. When every single race is, they make it seem like it's the motocross designations. It's just a local race. Relax. Not every parent can handle that. And I understand that. I mean, I've been around the sport, like I said, for 35 plus years now. I understand there's money, there's time, there's resources. But remember, little Johnny didn't go buy the bike. Little Johnny, This wasn't Johnny's idea. He can't go down and take your credit card and buy a bike. So you got to kind of take a, a little bit of a step back. There's nothing wrong with wanting your child to succeed and get to where you think they're capable of, but we have to be realistic of what they're capable of given their age, their muscle mass, their historical athletic background, their mental fortitude, meaning, you know, some kids have a tr have trouble focusing. That's okay. Let's work with it. But to sit there and berate them that they're not winning every single weekend, who cares? Is your son or daughter enjoying racing their dirt bike? Or are they already in tears because they didn't win the local race on Saturday and they know they're going to get the wrath when they get back to the truck? What's the point of that? Yeah. The other thing that we don't, that we looked at, we looked at this quite a bit is I have no problem rubbing plastics. You know, if you and I went out and rode, I'd love to go ahead and, and have you come underneath me and shroud to shroud, leg to leg, because I know you're not going to take me out but we'll try to out dice each other, especially, you know, trying to get in and out of the corners and have fun with it. What I don't like is, and I've seen this from the top down, you have parents that are telling the kids, look, if you can't beat them, just take them out. Yeah. Well, you don't think people pick up on that. Well, we have an entire staff that does nothing but go back and look at resumes. And then we do, we do research. We ask people, we're very fortunate. We have a lot of people that are entrenched in different places around the world. We always joke people don't know who we know, but you can always get to the bottom of the information, whether it's through social media, networking, and the combination of the two. When I'm talking to parents, and this parent number one doesn't know I'm talking to parent number three, and the same conversation comes out about rider number four, and that is he's a dirty rider, 
that she's, you know, very aggressive. Again, I don't mind rubbing as racing, but I'm talking the dirty takeouts, mm -hmm. the ones that pop out of a rut just to try to take the other rider out because they know that's the only way they're going to beat them. That's the type of rider that we deviate away from because I don't need a bunch of crybabies. I don't need a parent that thinks their son or daughter is the next Todd Waters. What I need is somebody that's going to teach their kid character about winning and losing. The idea, the appreciation, if I get Scott and they give us four sets of goggles, are you going to appreciate those goggles? Or if they have a slight blemish, are you just going to throw the goggles away because you've got three more waiting for you in the truck? That's really what our program is all about is we want to work with the parents to create champions. Champions don't have to be the ones that win all the races. The champions are the ones that see a, a young I'm going to call somebody out here and I, I hope it's okay. But, you know, I've seen little Richie Lawler go over and talk to a little guy, a little nipper on a P-dub that he could tell was scared to death. His dad didn't tell him. His mom didn't tell him. He did that when we were at, when we were at Mount Kembla, there, you, you were there with us and you remember how we did Monday, Tuesday school. And then Wednesday was open practice. I watched Richie go over and talk to a little guy that was on a P-dub that looked like he was scared to death. How do you, how do you teach that? Now I watched his mom and dad. They didn't ask him to go do that. What I picked up on was that Richie already knows he must be able to empathize somehow with that little guy, whether he sensed it, saw it. I can't teach that just like I can't, I can't teach the fire in the belly. You look at Brock Ninus. I've never seen a young man go through so much highs and lows to get where he's at. I can't, I can't cultivate that. Both the brothers, Kurt and Brock, are both total badasses, if I may say this. You look at Connor McLaughlin. I've seen him go through some significant injuries, but that fire in the belly where if you said to them as part of rehab, look, you stand on your head on Wednesday upside down drinking tea only after 4 p.m., you're going to get that out of Connor. You know what I mean? And I could go through every one of the riders and why they were chosen. It's not because they always win. It's not because they didn't win. It was the character of both them and their parents. What is their outlook on racing? We're not solving cancer here. We're enjoying riding dirt bikes. And when you see the kid that comes in and he throws his helmet because he didn't do well, or he kicks his bike, or he throws his bike down on the track because it won't start, I'm not interested. And, and I hope that the people will look at that a little bit differently, especially the, the helicopter parents that don't let their kids just enjoy dry, riding their dirt bike. I think it's sad. It really is. And I know you and I talked about that off the record the last time we were together. Yeah, I would agree hundred percent, man. It's, it's, that's, that's why we all started riding in the first place. It's all about the fun, but that we tend to, <laughs> we can yeah. lose sight of that at times without doubt. Well, and, and my whole thing is, is I don't want people to think if your son or daughter wasn't selected for the team, that it was for one exact reason. It could be we just ran out of spots. Um, it, there could be other things. I don't want anyone that wasn't selected to think or misconstrue that I'm saying, oh, that your son or daughter's got a bad behavior or that you're a helicopter parent. Please don't put it in the category. I'm just trying to share with the listeners what is the vision of the program? It's to build riders of character. Riders of character will always come to the top when things get difficult. And that's really what we wanna be able to show. For the listeners who may not know, if you follow the 450 class right now, Isaac Teasdale came all the way through from the smaller bikes all the way up. If you want to go back a couple of years, Jeremy Martin and Alex Martin, they came through the program. Jordan Bailey came through the program. Even Adam Ciancerillo came through the program. 
I'm not using that to name drop. What I'm saying is all of those guys have been through a ton of adversities, not so much AC, but everybody else had been through the highs and lows of injuries and disappointments and having expectations and not meeting them. And yes, I think it's cool. All those guys are in a factory program directly or indirectly. You know, you've got Jordan Bailey who rode for Huskies now riding for Ty Lu Ponda. You got Isaac Teasdale who's at JGR Suzuki. You've got the Martin brothers. I think, you know, everybody knows their story. AC's doing okay on the factory Honda or factory Cali. I think he, he's not working at McDonald's when nobody's looking. I think he's doing okay. But the idea here is not the name drop. We've had some tremendous riders who careers were cut short. Ian Treadle is the one that comes to mind right off the bat. You know, we had him all the way through the Suzuki amateur days. And then when he went pro, then he had significant head injury at Daytona. But I still stay in touch with Ian. Ian's a great young man. And guess what Ian's doing? Ian's going back to the track and teaching kids how to ride a motorcycle. Not jump, not scrub, literally teaching them how to ride a dirt bike. And then he's going from there. That's the kind of character that I really love. So good stuff all the way around. And I'm just pumped to have a team in Australia and in New Zealand. It's incredible. Yeah, it's awesome, man. It's great to see it come to fruition. Yep. It's, uh, as they say, it's the 15 year overnight success, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I say that totally in gist. I get people that say that all the time. It's like, but you know, if it wasn't for someone like Bo that gave us the insight, you know, the, the invite to come over and the hospitality that he showed, a lot of people may not realize this, but Bo and Soph, they had two little boys at home and, you know, they let us come and, and they actually took their infant out of their room and put them in the mom and dad's room and let Michaela and I sleep on the floor in their bedroom in the, in the child's bedroom. You know, that's the kind of accommodations and hospitality they gave us. And, you know, they didn't know us from Adam, if you really think about it. Yeah. And here we get off the plane and it's Michaela and I, and all of a sudden we're going to camps three days a week and coming home at seven and eight o'clock at night, you know, sleeping in their spare bedroom while they're trying to raise their two little boys. And Ryan, Aaron, Darcy are just unbelievable. Now they've got Jeb, they've got a third one. So um, I'm forever grateful for, you know, Bo and Soph. I'm forever grateful getting a chance to meet yourself because these networks wouldn't be what they are. I wouldn't have met the Lawlers. I wouldn't have met yourself. You know, Bo was really the catalyst. Even, you know, when you look at everybody at uh, City Coast Cycles, you know, it's just they opened us up. They did meet the coach, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that as well. And uh, great, great people all the way around. So I just hope that the listeners see that we're trying to build an amateur development program. And even if you're not selected on the team, if, if there's somebody that wants or thinks that they've got what it takes to get to the States, give us a buzz. We're happy to help. We're not making any money on it. We're just trying to pave the road to make it a little bit easier. But, you know, when you have somebody like yourself as a riding coach that can help these guys really figure out the nuances of off-road, you've got Todd and Ryan on the motocross side of things. Now we're trying to give back to the sport in a way that those guys, including yourself, have so much experience. If we can tee it up for them, then that's awesome. Then the team's done it, done its job. We just want the sport to grow with durable athletes that have have character and growth. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I think it sounds like the pathway is definitely there for sure. For sure. Yep. So and it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see what the year has to hold. Hopefully we can get some races on the calendar for you guys and we can go racing. hundred percent. Yeah. I think everyone's hanging out for that, especially over here. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's like when I look at Nathan Evans, uh, Nathan and Nadine, they're up in Darwin. They invited us to come up and, you know, Nathan's very good off road. 
and he obviously represents that northern part of Australia for us. But you know, when you look at Nadine and, and uh, Nathan did the same thing. They have two little girls. They gave us one of their bedrooms. And again, we're going in and out and doing camps. Ironically, we were there. We did a triathlon camp, a running camp. We spoke to some general fitness and gym uh, fitness people, as well as doing camps. And, and they let us stay in their house for almost a month. So, you know, <laughs> when you look at this idea that we need to go race and poor Nathan brought us in, he wants to go racing, you know, um, he and I joke about it all the time. He didn't, he didn't fly us over just to have roommates. He flew us over so he could go racing. <laughs> and we, we hosted a couple of really cool camps up there in, in the Darwin area. So I want races for you guys. I want races for everybody. So hopefully an Australian, I, I think the motocross series is starting to come to shape, isn't it? Calendar wise. For next year it is, I think. Yeah. There's definitely nothing like it's all been scrapped this year. Um, yep. Like, I guess this is having an optimistic view. Um, I guess where it's looking like everything will kick off earlier next because there's obviously been no racing. We're getting sort of getting the green light now and with fingers crossed, the borders are going to open up between Victoria and the other states within the next few weeks or at least before Christmas anyway. So it's, it's looking like, like it'll be, the season's going to kick off nice and early next year because everyone's chomping at the bit to get some racing under the belt for sure. So fingers crossed it'll be a, an early and a long season next year. No, that'd be great. And um, just for the listeners, what we do as part of the program is we do a weekly call with everybody that's on the team. So I get up at 4.30 in the morning. Our call goes from 5 to 6 a.m. my time. Um, the reason why we do that is we do a deep dive on nutrition, uh, sports psychology, the truth about strength training, endurance, and et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why I bring it up in this context is when we start next week with our team calls, it's literally like looking at preseason of 2021. That's why we get it started in November. And, you know, the, the race calendar usually will get started by February, March for everybody. And that's the layout that we have designed is they get it. They, the team members, they get a training schedule every Friday for the next week. And then we do the team call and we use that gives the riders a chance to ask questions, get things clarified. And then we just do that week after week after week. And we do that all the way through next. uh, We'll do it actually through the end of next August. They'll run from November to August during the year. We'll be looking at race results. We'll be looking at other riders. We'll be evaluating our own riders. There's one of the things that I do request of the team members is that there's certain human telemetry information that we're, we're looking to get back because I've been building a medical database specific to Moto for the last 15 years. So when a team owner calls me or an agent says, well, how heavy does somebody need to be to go from a 125 to a 250? Well, historically, this is what I've seen. Or what if somebody hasn't hit puberty yet? Should they be doing load-bearing exercises? I can share with them some of the anecdotal information that we've gathered. So for the listeners, I want them to understand that a prerequisite for the, anybody that's been selected to be retained is they do have to provide that information. We don't attach their name and their private info, but we take their age, their class, their, and we take some of the human performance elements and we archive that so that way we can give back to the sport. I want everybody to understand that's really our goal. I want to build athletes that are more durable. I want athletes that can go the distance. I want to show that they've got the durability for teams and agents. And we do that not based on an emotional discussion. We do it on a human performance report card. And um, next time that we're on the show together, I'll, I'll announce who we're working with from an agent standpoint. And I think your listeners will be blown away. 
um, it's going to turn the sport upside down. And I don't say that boastfully. I'm just very, very pleased that this guy is going into the agency world because he has a perspective that as an agent, he can take to a team that makes our human performance program of more valuable, more value, not just to me, but for the athlete at the end of the day. And that we were talking with a couple of the satellite teams we're partnering with. And one of our pre uh, agreements is if a factory team wants to pull one of our riders, we're going to 100% say yes. We will never hold a rider back. You know, if we can only pay a rider 50 or 100 grand a year and they can get a fill in job for two, 300, who are we to hold them back? And then when that fill in job's done, they can come back to our team. But what we're doing differently, and you and I talked about this off the record, we're going to have four riders. Two will be, we'll have a we'll have a 450 and a 250 on each satellite team, but we're also going to be developing two riders behind the scenes. So if somebody gets hurt or somebody gets pulled to a factory ride, we've already got two riders in the hopper. So I hope you guys can visualize it's having a constant stream of athletes, ultimately getting paid a nice salary to go racing, but we're going to be able to represent for all of these partners and they're not just a one-year deal they're three-year sponsorship deals they're three three-year rider deals and it's my job to keep that feeder of athletes strong durable injury free sick free so that they don't come in already you know pretty much roached if you will so the sponsors are happy the riders don't have to worry about you know getting clipped in a year you and i talked about this off the record it's absurd um they're so afraid that they're they're like politicians right you know, they, they're so happy to get the job, but then they're going to worry mode that they're not going to get re-signed, that they don't really stay focused and they end up getting hurt anyways. So we're trying to kind of reduce that risk of turnover. But um, that's the fun side of it is watching them blossom into it. But at the same time, we build a medical database. We build a unique humor, humor, a human profile for the agents and the teams. It's a win, win, win. And now you've got athletes that can go out and really be competitive and race for a long period of time. I just can't stand the turnover rate of these 250 riders. It's, it's sad. It's frustrating. You know, they're constantly hurt and they can't fulfill their obligations. We got to cut that down a little bit. Yeah. hundred percent, man. If we can get them stronger and, and fitter from the get go, then that's definitely going to be a good scenario for everyone, isn't it? It really is. And I know that sounds like a little bit of a, a beating our own drum and maybe jumping on our own platform, but I want the listeners to really stop and think about what causes the highest turnover rate in our sport, injuries and burnout. Yeah. Who's responsible for that? Uneducated trainers that think more is always better. You know, they're not looking at signs of adrenal fatigue. They're not looking at blood work consistently to see if there's blood disorders until all of a sudden the doctor says, congratulations, you have adrenal fatigue, you have Epstein-Barr. And what's the prescription for Epstein-Barr? Sleep and food. Why is that? the adrenals are roached how did that happen an irresponsible performance coach and this brings me back to what i've complained about every time we've been on the show coach accountability and by the way i've got a pretty solid platform that's developing right now so between you and i and our network we're going to be able to we will have a, a system that will hold coaches accountable which now allows parents to hire performance coaches that are being held to a higher standard which ensures that the riders don't get smoked yeah. You know, maybe we can do a whole show on just that, on how we're doing it. But moms and dads, please listen. If, if you're, if you're working with somebody in the gym that doesn't understand moto, stop, stop while you're ahead. If you're not looking at signs of fatigue, if you're not looking at resting heart rate and you're not looking at body weight and you're not looking at their average heart rates when they go and ride in their daily calorie burn, stop. You're going to 
destroy your rider. That's all I can tell you. If you're close to Ben, I would highly recommend you reach out, even if it's for a one-time consultation or get on a program. And that's not to try to sound like a soft sale. You guys spent a lot of money on bikes. You spend a lot of money on motor and suspension. Who rides that thing? That's so I'm just going to leave that comment where it's at. You need to have a healthy, well-focused rider that knows what they're doing. Otherwise, they're just going to get hurt or destroy your expensive equipment. Yeah, 100%. I guess it's one of those things like some people would say anything's better than nothing, but in, in terms of training, because there's, there's quite a few people out there who just don't train at all, I suppose, but yeah. it's, it's not actually the case. Like anything can be kind of worse than nothing in some cases if you're if you're not doing it correctly like and i, I know we again we've said it many times before but i don't think people because we because we do it we've done it since we're kids we've jumped on that bike and ridden it and maxed our heart rate out so it's just normal to us but if you actually compare it to any other sport like it's pretty freaking crazy what what they're expecting them to do as athletes so true and you can't underestimate the demands on the body so and, and if we do have a new listener, I want them to think about this. We do a lot in the triathlon world. Can you imagine Ironman Hawaii with one of the riders on the bicycle wearing all the gear that you ride as a motocross racer? Or, oh, or even- imagine if you had a 15-year-old kid out there doing that is the yeah. other thing. Because yeah. that's what they're doing, essentially. Like That's right. <laughs> and then you think about it, you're comparing you know, uh, a 20-pound bicycle you let's say you what would that what would 20 pounds be you know five kilos or 10 kilos roughly okay yeah, that right yeah compare, compare a 10 kilo bike to a 100 kilo bike yeah <laughs> and then add velocity and you know how it is when you have a get off that bike follows you like a magnet you know you just look at all of those variables you're covered every square centimeter of your skin is covered you know you're so you're reducing your ability to sweat and get rid of heat you're on a bike that's scolding hot the humidity and the temperature tends to be super hot during the summer. Like you said, where else do you have those type of scenarios? There's not another sport. Our triathletes are damn near naked running down the street. I mean, if you looked at the thickness of the material that they're wearing and they've got only probably 25% of their body, their private parts are the only thing that's essentially covered, you know? <laughs> yeah. Their heart rate may be at 180, but they've got ways to get rid of the heat. They're not on something that's scolding hot. And pretty much all they got to do is take their body weight and run down the street with it or cycle down the street or swim through the water. And we're, we're taking a moving gyroscope at speed covered in gear and their heart rates maxed out. And we wonder why, like you say, I love the spectators. Well, is it riding a motorcycle easy? It has suspension. Doesn't it do all the work? Don't you just come along for the ride? Yeah. I love that comment. That's when you're like, okay, have a good day. We need to go talk about something else. As we always say, when someone says, like, for example, Michaela and I are, we love to do triathlons. We always joke that when somebody says, why do you do that? Even if I explain it, you'll never understand it. So when we look at something like moto and they're like, all right, it's hot. You got a lot of gear. The bike's very, very difficult to move around. And why do you do it? Never mind. You're never going to understand it. If you haven't tasted it, if you haven't gotten that exhilarating feeling, cranking up a bike, especially a two stroke, and you get that fresh Christmas morning smell of some premix. If you've never had that experience, the smell of putting on a new helmet on Christmas Day, we all have those experiences and we remember them like they were yesterday. Yeah. That's what makes a sport so awesome. And I love all the listeners. I, I want to thank all the listeners for following us and 
supporting the show. Um, you were telling me the numbers are going up and up and up. And I want to thank the listeners. I hope you guys will spread the word. Hopefully tonight we shed some light on what this whole team concept is. And we always say it this way. If you think that your son or daughter or even yourself should be on the team next year, send us a resume, uh, contact at coachrob.com. This year we had a little over 4,200 resumes worldwide that came in for the team spots. So we know people want it, but uh, you know, if you think that you deserve it, awesome. Send me an email or you can go to completeracingsolutions.com. We have an online form that's there as well. So, you know, I want to thank all the listeners, Ben, for, for joining us tonight. I, I hope they, they learned something, what we're trying to do together, you and I. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, I'm stoked you could share it with us. Thank you. Absolutely. And best of luck with that new platform. Thanks, brother. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Have a good one, bud. Thank you. Peace.